0: Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Monday, June 10th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, key moments from the Iowa Hall of Fame celebration, a handy calendar of all the key election dates and times, and organizers warn that candidates are ignoring Latinx communities. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Okay, actual breaking news that happened after I finished recording, so I'll just drop this in here at the top. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand wrote a tweet, I'm going to read it now. Quote, Huge news, over the weekend we crossed 65,000 donors to our campaign, guaranteeing our spot at the first debates. I'm so grateful to everyone who's helping power this campaign, we have a lot more work to do in the months to come, but for now, thank you. End quote. So great news for Jill Rand. She is now in that safe category of, I believe it's now about 13-ish candidates who have both the polling threshold and the donor threshold. So they are definitely in the debates and not subject to tiebreaker problems. (music) On Sunday, 19 of the Democratic primary candidates showed up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for the Iowa Democratic Party Hall of Fame Celebration. The event was held to honor Iowa Democrats who had done good work, but it was also an opportunity for all those candidates to give five-minute mini-speeches. By my count, this is the single largest gathering of candidates we have seen so far in one place, and it was wild. The LA Times called it the equivalent of speed dating, as each candidate rushed to use their five minutes in a meaningful and appealing way. This is an interesting opportunity for the primary ride home, Never before have I had so much audio from so many candidates all in one place on the same day. And I'm going to use this opportunity to play short clips from a trio of candidates that you don't usually hear from, either on this show or others, because they're considered to be either in the middle tier or the lower tier of polling or fundraising or both. The point of this kind of event is to actually meet new candidates. And I would like to introduce some of these folks to you in their own words. Now, unfortunately, some of the candidates we rarely hear from, like Messam and Gravel, did not show up, so I don't have audio for you from them. But let's get into three candidates whose voices you have not really heard on this show. First up, Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii. She used the first two and a half minutes of her time to list a series of policies she would enact as president. I'm going to play what she said next.
1: Now the reality is there are many needs we need to address, but we will not have the resources that we need to invest in our people and our communities unless we deal with one central issue. That issue is the cost of war. The Most important responsibility that the president has is to serve as commander in chief. Now I've served as a soldier for over 16 years. Deployed twice to the Middle East and in Congress have served for over six years on the Foreign Affairs and the Armed Services Committees. I know the importance of our national security and I know the cost of war. I've seen it firsthand. For too long we have warmongers from both political parties who have been dragging us from one counterproductive regime change war to the next who are hyping up a new Cold War and nuclear arms race now. So as President and Commander in Chief, I will end our long-standing foreign policy of waging wasteful regime change wars that have taken so many lives that has cost us trillions of taxpayer dollars and undermined our national security. I'll work to end this new Cold War and nuclear arms race and lead us away from the abyss of a nuclear war that would destroy our entire world in mere minutes. I'll take the trillions of dollars, your hard-earned taxpayer dollars that have been and will continue to be wasted on these programs and instead invest them in serving the needs of the American people. Things like quality healthcare for all, truly sustainable agriculture, affordable housing, clean water, clean air, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, improving education, and so much more. I'll build partnerships with other countries based on shared interests and cooperation rather than conflict. I'll have the courage to meet with both adversaries and friends in the pursuit of peace and national security, understanding that if we fail to exercise that courage, the only alternative is war.
0: Gabbard concluded by saying, quote, we stand to bend the arc of history away from war and towards peace, prosperity, opportunity and justice for all," End quote." And next up, let's listen to a bit from Andrew Yang's speech. He started out by dunking on Joe Biden, who didn't attend the event because he was at his granddaughter's graduation ceremony. Yang also did some math about the relative power of the voters in the room. He said that the Iowa voters in that room alone had the same voting power as one million California voters. And I'm pretty sure his math is correct. All right, let's listen to a clip from his speech.
2: How many of you have noticed stores closing where you live in Iowa? And why are those stores closing? Amazon, that's right, it's a one-word answer. Amazon's like a giant vacuum sucking up $20 billion out of your communities. How much did Amazon pay in federal taxes last year? Zero, Zero. so think about that math. 20 billion out, zero back in, and the number one job in your communities is working in retail. The average retail worker is a 39-year-old woman making $10 an hour, and what is she gonna do when her mall or Main Street store closes? I was just at Iowa 80 in Davenport, the biggest truck stop in the United States, and my friends in Silicon Valley are working on trucks that can drive themselves. They say they are five to 10 years away. What is that going to mean for the three and a half million Americans who drive a truck for a living and the seven million plus who work in truck stops, motels, diners, and retail establishments that need the truckers to get out and have a meal? The reason why Donald Trump is our president today is that we're in the third inning of the greatest economic and technological transformation in the history of our country, what experts are calling the fourth industrial revolution. He is a symptom of a disease. And it is your responsibility, the Democrats of Iowa, to present the cure to the people of this country. It will not happen without your vision. So what is that cure? If you've heard anything about me in the campaign, you know there's an Asian man running for president who wants to give everyone $1,000 a month. And all three of those things are true. Now when you first hear it, it sounds like a gimmick, but then you dig into our history, Thomas Paine was for this at the founding of the country, called it the citizen's dividend. Martin Luther King championed in the 60s, called it the guaranteed minimum income. It passed the U.S. House of Representatives twice in 1971 under Nixon, and one state has already had a dividend for almost 40 years where everyone in that state gets between one and $2,000 a year, no questions asked. And what state is that, Iowa? And how do they fund it? And what is the oil of the 21st century? Technology, that's right, data, AI, software, self-driving cars and trucks, what they're doing for the people in Alaska with oil money, we can do for everyone here in Iowa and everyone around the country with technology money. Now think about what that would mean for your communities. How would you all spend that money? I know how you'd spend that money. You'd spend it on tutoring for your kids, car repairs, the occasional night out, and most of it would stay right here in Iowa.
0: At the end of his remarks, Yang said, quote, The opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math, end quote. And finally, Marianne Williamson, who, by the way, recently moved to Iowa from New York. She has based her campaign on the theme of love. Now, that might not sound like it's a practical thing or even a definable thing, but it absolutely is if you listen closely. When I hear Williamson speak, she is talking about psychology and the nature of cognition, meaning how we think, how our brains work. But she is simplifying it by using words like love. So listen to this clip, which starts near the beginning of her remarks. And if you find this interesting, the second half of this speech, which is only another two and a half minutes, is well worth a listen.
3: And I want to talk to you about something that I know is very important to all of us. And that is how are we going to beat Donald Trump in 2020. Now, a lot of people here think that what we need to find is somebody tough enough. Who's tough enough to beat Donald Trump? But I, I want you to know my deep feeling that if you think that our job is simply to find someone tough enough to beat Donald Trump, you are naive about the nature of the opponent. Something deeper, something far more dangerous is going on here than traditional political toughness even knows how to handle. Donald Trump has touched people in a very, very fearful place. And only one thing can cast out that fear. It's not money, it's not just strategy, it's not just anger, and it's not just mobilizing our base. It is love. Last time, we won with hope. This time, we will win with love. And ultimately, we will only win if we touch enough people's hearts. I know something about harnessing the emotions of large groups of people. Like everyone else here, I'm appalled by how the president has done that. But unlike many people here, I know something about how he has done it. Donald Trump has built a career harnessing fear, and I have built a career inspiring love. Trump has spoken Trump has spoken to a very dark and primal place within the human psyche a place of fear that becomes like an emotional knot in people's brains. And this knot cannot be unraveled by mere intellect or rationalistic argument, for I assure you, the part of the brain that rationally analyzes an issue is not the part of the brain that decides who to vote for. That emotional knot can only be unraveled through the power of an equally primal place within the psyche, the only way to defeat a big lie is through the power of a big truth.
0: Williamson finished by saying, quote, we need a nominee who is a radical truth teller and an inspirer of love. That is why I am here. End quote. Check the show notes for a link to the Des Moines Register YouTube page, which has the full speeches for all 19 candidates. Next up, a super useful resource for those of you who just want to know when everything is going to happen. I've had several listeners ask me for a list of the key dates coming up in the primaries and then later on in the general, and I just didn't have a good resource. I mean, there are bits and pieces all over the place. But imagine my delight in finding that the LA Times is maintaining a calendar of all these dates. Thanks, Internet. There's a link in the show notes, it is the third link, to the LA Times page, which both lays out the calendar visually, but also gives you links to subscribe to it in your own calendar app. So, for instance, if you use Google Calendar or Apple Calendar or whatever, you can add this as its own calendar and flip it on and off, and they will update it over time when they get more information, more dates for the Democratic debates, for example. But this is super handy because, for example, for the upcoming scheduled debates, it gives you not just the date and specific time, but what channels will be carrying it. Beyond the debates, the calendar includes a detailed view of when every single primary and caucus happens. This is handy in part because it'll tell you when your state votes, but also demonstrates the incredible weight of Super Tuesday, a.k.a. March 3rd, 2020, when 17 distinct regions, mostly states but also Democrats abroad and American Samoa, hold their primaries and caucuses. And best of all, if this calendar ends up bugging you, there are instructions at the bottom of the LA Times page on how specifically to unsubscribe using all the major calendar apps. And last up today, let's take a few minutes to talk about Latinx voters. By the way, if you're not familiar with that term, Latinx is a gender neutral version of the words Latino or Latina. In some of the quotes I'm going to read, you're going to hear different flavors of the word. Anyway, in an article for Politico, Laura Baron Lopez laid out the key problem. Quote Interviews with more than a dozen strategists and organizers revealed rising alarm at the lack of attention being paid to Latinos in swing states where they could decide the outcome of both the Democratic primary and the general election. Trump is counting on a slice of Latinos to back him, announcing aggressive outreach plans to keep states like Florida in his column. But if Democrats fail to counter those efforts with their own, by energizing younger Latinos and reaching members of the community who feel estranged by the president, those voters may simply sit out the election, the operatives told Politico. End quote. This is a big deal for a bunch of reasons. The biggest may be, as I've reported before, demographic research predicts that the Latinx vote in 2020 will actually be the largest minority voting block for the first time ever. So if you're a candidate, you want to be talking to these people. And this is not a monolithic group. I mean, no voting block is, but to be frank, this group is among the least understood by people in general, and that may include the candidates. So, a quick personal story here that I think does inform this discussion. When I was in college at Florida State, my favorite professor, Dr. Alice Robin, was involved with research on how people self-identified their ethnicity in surveys like the U.S. Census. At that time, back in the 90s and before, you had to pick one. For instance, you had to pick black or Latino. And in many cases, they actually called the latter thing Hispanic, but that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are both black and Latinx. So Dr. Robbins' research was aimed at finding a way to reword those kinds of questions so that you would end up with accurate and representative data from people who belong to these groups. Her work actually did influence the census and other major polls. But it's just one piece of the puzzle in understanding that Latinx voters are extremely diverse. Some are recent immigrants. Many are not some are working class, many are not, some belong to multiple racial groups, some have major family groups outside the country, others have been here for generations, and on and on and on. The point is, you can't just take a single issue like immigration at the southern border and assume that the Latinx community as a whole sees it the same way. I'm going to read a bit more from the Politico story here. Quote, most democratic organizers agree on two things. Candidates need a robust immigration plan that counters Trump's hardline policies and nationalist rhetoric, and Democratic hopefuls, they say, need to aggressively communicate how their policies on issues such as education and healthcare tangibly help the Latino community. Relatedly, the operatives say candidates have to demonstrate an understanding of the different groups of Latinos, including those of African descent. A number of 2020 candidates recently turned more of their attention to Latino voters during swings through California. A handful last week addressed the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles Action Fund, including Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Julian Castro. And Beto O'Rourke delivered part of his speech at the state's Democratic Party convention in Spanish. But Latino organizers who wield significant influence in states like Nevada and California are waiting for more. End quote. Okay, so what are some specific things these organizers are looking for from the candidates? Well, according to the article, the first thing is making campaign materials, including live events, accessible in Spanish. Now, we have seen that with many of the candidates translating their entire websites into Spanish, and a few candidates, Harris comes to mind, doing live translation into Spanish during events. And Joe Biden launched his campaign with an entirely different YouTube video in Spanish. And by the way, he is still doing that with new videos. Now, the other big thing that organizers are warning about here is lack of attention to Nevada. This is an early voting state that some candidates are just not paying much attention to. Reading again from the article, quote, Frontrunner Joe Biden has just four people in Nevada and has visited the state once. His campaign website, however, does provide a full Spanish translation. Some of the Latino operatives said they are eager to see whether he tailors his speeches more to the experiences of Black and Latino populations in addition to white working-class voters. What I have seen from Joe Biden is that he is running a campaign reminiscent of 1992 or 1993, the courting of the suburban white voter, Natalia Salgado said. Isabel Aldunate, a Biden campaign spokeswoman, said, Vice President Biden committed from day one that Latinos will have a voice at the highest level of this campaign. End quote. The article goes on to point out that only three candidates have actually released immigration policies. Castro, Inslee, and O'Rourke. Read the article, it is the last link in the show notes, for a nuanced look at what candidates are doing and what they are currently failing to do in reaching and understanding this vital voting block. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, to answer your question, no. Gumbo the dog has still not been found, so I'm going to leave that one alone until we have some good news. Meanwhile, an update on early summer in my yarden That's what we call the yard slash garden, in which the yard part is increasingly giving way to garden plants and trees and stuff. So, I pulled a couple of dormant Brugmansia flowers out of the basement yesterday and set them up outside. They are just starting to leaf out and open up. These are those tropical trumpet flowers that look kind of like a Dr. Seuss flower. And quick important tip, do not eat Brugmansia flowers because you will die. (laughs) Having said that, they are really pretty to look at. So, just do that part. Not the eating, the, the looking. Also, a quick update on the bee situation... Half the bees just totally bailed on me, and they ignored their cool little bee houses and all this stuff that I had to get up on a ladder and install and position according to the rising sun and all this other stuff. But they did apparently find some place that they preferred because they are all over the flowers and there are now like five or six different species of bees in the garden at all times. That is really cool because just a month or two ago, I saw literally one sad little bumblebee and I got kind of worried. Okay, as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow on the Backyard Ride Home.